0: to have it together. Amen on that one. So all of his people together said, amen. amen. Well, good morning and what a privilege to have you with us on a beautiful, on a beautiful Resurrection Sunday. If you're here for the first time with us, we're so delighted to have you as our guests. We're so glad you're here. We had donuts for you, but they're all gone now, Okay. So, but we're grateful, seriously, to have you with us today, and I want you to, as you see, likewise on the overhead, to take your Bible at this time, trust you have it with you, and turn with me to the book of Matthew and the 28th chapter of, of Matthew. We had a great time together, Friday night, hard time but a great time together as we focused upon the reality of all that was involved in the cross. And while we call this Easter or Resurrection Morning, uh, commonly with reference to Friday, we call it Good Friday. But for those who followed him and who heard him, and who who watched him and who loved him, there was nothing good about Friday. They had seen, heard about the reality that our Lord Jesus Christ, some watched him die. And with that death, everything seemed for them to come to an end. Jesus had been condemned as a blasphemer. He had been crucified on a cross and being crucified on that cross was understood by his people under a curse. So condemned and cursed and dead. Seemingly it was over for so many of them. He said those last words. We were reminded of that in the prayer this morning. Prior to those final words, it's finished, it's done. Jesus said, Father, into thy hands I commend my what? I commend my spirit. And on the cross, then ye. The scriptures convey to us he bowed his head and and he gave up his spirit. Key, he gave it up. It was not taken from him. He gave it up. Breathed his last. And when the soldiers came to break the legs of our Savior and the two men that were crucified with him they saw that he was already dead. And yet one of the Soldiers with a spear stuck it into his side, and out came blood and water. And we're told that a man by the name of Joseph of Arimathea, he went to Pilate and he asked that he might be able to take the body. Matthew twenty-seven. Twenty-seven, look with me at verse fifty-seven. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who himself had become a disciple of Jesus. And this man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had hewn out in the rock, And he rolled a large stone against the entrance of the tomb and went away. And it would have been a releasing of that stone that was prepared to be able to just roll into place. And it had to be large enough to seal that tomb, large enough for someone like you and I to get into. So large to seal it. And then there was the requirement of the soldiers to put a seal Upon that, upon the stone. So Friday was not good from the perspective of watching the one that so many loved and believed in. There's a great preacher and writer of commentaries by the name of John Stott. And what John Stott does is he conveys to us the the difference between Friday and Sunday morning with reference to all that goes on and how it impacts uh, the people. And let me read to you. You can follow along. It's on the overhead how he conveys the difficulty of those who watched him die. Stott says it's hard for us to grasp how completely the verdict had gone against Jesus when he died and how the apostles' hopes had been extinguished. Jesus had been condemned in a Jewish court for blasphemy by duly authority legal procedures, though at night and illegal. He was then sentenced and executed for sedition by the Romans. Worse, he had been hanged on a tree, and therefore, according to Deuteronomy 21, had died under the curse of God. The public rejection of Jesus could not have been more thorough. At every dimension he was finished, judicial, political, spiritual, and physical. Religion, law, man, and death had all conspired to wipe him off the face of the earth. It was all over now, or seemed to be. And note this next statement, no power on earth could ever rescue or reinstate him. What Dashing of their hopes for those who loved him. But listen to the next statement, if you would. But the apostles had left out of account the resurrecting power of God. God reversed the verdict passed on. Jesus, by raising him from the dead and turned all human opinions about him upside down, condemned for blasphemy, he was now designated son of God by the resurrection. Executed for sedition, for claiming to be a king, God made him both Lord and Christ. Hanged on a tree under the curse of God, he was vindicated as the savior of sinners, the curse he bore being due to us and not to him. So the cross was not a defeat and the resurrection victory. The cross was the victory won, and the resurrection, the victory, endorsed and proclaimed and demonstrated. (laughs) Hallelujah. Everything changed. Everything changed with these words. He is not here, for he has risen, just as he said. So the resurrection of Jesus Christ, beloved, is, it is both the single greatest event in the history of the world and most highly attested to fact by both witness and historical records. Spurgeon says it this way, The resurrection is a fact better attested than any event recorded in any history, whether ancient or modern. And you have to be a little bit older for me, t- for you to know th- who the quote is from next. But some of us who are a little older can tell those that are a little bit younger who is Chuck Colson. Because Chuck Colson was involved in a cover up that didn't stay covered up. And he has an answer about those who say, you know, the resurrection was something devised by his men and spread as a myth, but believed by the world. And Chuck Colson has this to say. But Just encourage me. Have you ever heard Chuck Colson? You know what I'm talking about. Okay. He has this to say. I know the resurrection is a fact, and Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified they had seen Jesus raised from the dead. Then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Every one of them was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. They would not have endured that if it weren't true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep a lie for three weeks. You're telling me 12 apostles could keep a lie for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. (laughs) Drummond makes this statement. The resurrection of Jesus is rooted in history, grounded in the Scriptures, confirmed in the power of transformed lives. Oh, I pray that that's about you this morning. What is the Christian argument for immortality? It is because I live that Jesus said, you too shall live. There it is, the resurrection. It's been well said that the resurrection is like a boulder crashing into the pool of human history. And apart from the significance of Christ's resurrection as the greatest event in history, the resurrection is the crowning proof, cornerstone, and central event of the Christian faith. It is the good news within the good news of the gospel. It is good news that he died when you understand that from redemptive history that he died for sinners that we could be forgiven. But it is the good news in the reality that the resurrection verified that the promises are true of what he made to those who followed him and what he gives to us in the context of his word. The resurrection is everything for us. And if it, if it did not take place, the Apostle Paul, he spends a whole chapter in 1 Corinthians 15 concerning all the significance of the resurrection. And then he says, if Jesus is not raised from the dead, we are of all people, all men, most to be pitied. It's, it's the dividing line. His resurrection guarantees our forgiveness. When he cried out those words, finished, done. What is finished? Full atonement can it be. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Forgiveness of sin. And what Jesus said on the cross, the Father declared in the resurrection, what was finished is sufficient to meet the holy payment and demands of God for sin it guarantees our forgiveness it guarantees our justification the apostle conveys to us in romans 4:25 he was delivered over because of our sin your sin my sin And he was raised because of, and the word there is just beautiful in the New Testament language, with a view toward our justification. And so the Father could say to us through the Scriptures, because of the fact that I've risen him from the dead, raised him from the dead, now I can justify sinners who put their faith in him. And God could say, you're righteous, And he declares us righteous and he treats us righteous on the basis of faith and faith alone, all because of the reality of his death and of his resurrection. And his resurrection sets him apart from every other religion given as a possibility for mankind. And gives Jesus every right to say, Then I am the way and I am the truth. And I am the life, resurrection life. And no man comes to the Father but through me. And most of all, his guarantees yours. In fact, his resurrection guarantees the resurrection of all mankind. One day the Bible tells us, one way or another, every knee will bow And every tongue is going to acknowledge the fact that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the Father. So without it, we have no salvation. We have no good news. We have nothing that really we have to preach. We don't have any faith. We don't have any hope. It's all empty because he didn't do what he said he would do. But because Jesus did what he promised and what he claimed. And he claimed to be the Son of God and he confirmed that in his resurrection, and his ability to say, I'm life. I'm resurrection life. And though you may die, you may live again based upon what I have done. And as beautiful as it's stated in the Scriptures, it was given in the context of Lazarus, wasn't it? And Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone, present tense, who is now living... Everyone alive here this morning, raise your hand. No, don't, okay? Everyone who is living and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? C.S. Lewis reminded us that the resurrection demands a decision from it. And a classic quote with C.S. Lewis Or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and you can kill him as a a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any nonsense of patronizing about him being just a supremely good man and great teacher. It's one or the other. And if you say, yes, I believe that he rose from the dead, With that comes his claims. Claim to be God. Claim to be worthy of worship. Claim to be worthy of your life. Claim to say whether you love me more than brother, sister, mother, father, that you're not worthy of me. If you buy in by the grace of God and belief, you get him on the basis of all that he claimed and promised. Not on your terms, but on his. All based on the reality of the resurrection. And to all of you who thought I had to turn to Matthew 28 and I forgot it, I did not. Because Matthew chapter 28 is just one of all four Gospels, you know that, all four Gospels, of course, give us the record of the resurrection. But all four Gospels give us a unique, of from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Holy Spirit, guided perspective in details surrounding the event. Now, why do I point that out? Because in the Scriptures, we have a wealth of material on this morning, on resurrection morning. And in Matthew chapter 28, we have Matthew's perspective Of the event. And what is unique in Matthew's record of the event is that he's going to focus upon the reality of the women who are the first to come to the tomb. I want you to glance at verse 1 with me. Now, after the Sabbath, Friday, Sabbath, Saturday, Sunday after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn on the first part or day of the week. Mary Magdalene, who Jesus had changed and delivered of the oppression of seven demons, attacking her life, how she was transformed, and the other Mary came to look at the grave. Look with me at the verses in verse 55 of chapter 27, because there's more than these gals when we look at all four gospels, look at matthew twenty seven fifty five many women were looking on from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee while ministering to him, and among them was Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and jo- mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. We look at the other gospels there 's a woman by the name of Salome mentioned. And Joanna is mentioned, and Luke tells us in Luke chapter 24 that there are a number of unnamed women. So there is at least five and probably more gals that are coming to the tomb this morning. And they had followed him from Galilee. The other Gospels tell us that out of their own means they had ministered to Christ and probably his disciples, they had watched him die from a distance and watched him likewise be put in the tomb. But Matthew focuses upon these two particular gals. And they have, they have come early in the morning to the tomb, this, this group of women. I, I want to call them first century women's ministries just for the encouragement of our women here this morning. They've come to the tomb, and I don't think that they've gotten much sleep. Watched him die, how that would have impacted their lives. And they are anticipating the opportunity to demonstrate this last, final act of love for Christ to anoint the body. But in anticipation of that, it was a long night. And as they're together heading toward the the tomb, they are discussing a problem. Do you know what it is that they're discussing? Sure you do. They're discussing this problem. They were saying to one another, who's going to roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? How are we going to get in there? How are we going to be able to anoint the body Joseph had simply wrapped him there, linen placed him in, but this final act, they are anticipation of. In fact, if you turn in your Bible with me to Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, chapter 23, I want you to glance at it there, if you would, with me. Matthew, Mark, Luke, chapter 23. Toward the end of the chapter, verse 53. And he took it down and he wrapped it in a linen cloth and laid him in a tomb cut in the rock where no one had ever lain. And it was the preparation day and the Sabbath was about to begin. Now the women who had come to him out of Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and perfume, anointing the body. And on the Sabbath, they rested according to the commandment. Chapter 24, verse 1, But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared, by the way, which never got used. (laughs) And here they came. And John tells us, turn back with me to Matthew 28. Thanks for turning there. John also conveys to us the fact that it's, it's even dark. Here in our text, it says, began to dawn. So they had met at a meeting place, these gals, at least five, probably more. And they're on their way with the spices. And they're wondering, how are we going to get into the tomb How are we going to be able to do this? Who's going to roll the stone away? So their expectation was not, it was not an anticipation of a resurrection, was it? It was an anticipation to find the body lying in the tomb. And yet there's all this fact of uh, the reality that Jesus had said he was going to be risen from the dead. In fact, even those who did not believe in what he was saying, and it, there's no evidence in the Scriptures that even his men or anyone else comprehended or believed it. Look with me again at chapter 27, verse 62. Matthew 27:62. Now on the dex- next day, the day after the preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered together with Pilate, and they said, Sir, we remember that when he was still alive, that deceiver said What? After three days, I'm going to rise again. They knew of it. They didn't believe it. But they knew of it. But these women, as much as they loved him, as much as they cared for him, think about his men as often as they heard from him. The fact that he would rise again. They didn't get it. I had, I had text a what I call a brainiac friend of mine this week, it's a real student of the Scriptures, and I said to him, okay, just on a human level, why didn't they get it? Because I know if you and I would have been there, we would have anticipated the resurrection. Amen? We would have gotten it. What's wrong with them? So he got back to me and he said, uh, Kevin, read your Bible. I don't like guys like that. Rebuke me. Turn with me over to chapter 20 in John. So let's read our Bibles together. What was their problem? Now, I'm going to tell you this morning, I'm going to speak the truth and love to you. Their problem was your problem. Still glad you're here? I am glad you're here. Their problem was what? Their problem was a lack of faith to what God conveys to us in his word. There's no greater problem that you and I have than that of taking God as his word you do that all the time don't you you take the promises of God and you you land on those and you take man you're upset about something You, you remember the scriptures tell us that he'll give you the peace as you as you base your focus and with prayer and supplication let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God and so you never get upset about anything do you Or young people, you don't ever worry about, where am I going to be? What am I going to do? Because you know the scriptures say, if you trust the Lord with your heart, lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, direct your paths. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And he will what? Direct your path. See, their problem is our problem. And our greatest problem is taking God at his word and living in light of it. John chapter 20. Here's how my... uh, friend rebuked me, and then he just wrote a word in all caps, unbelief. John chapter 20. Now this is later with Peter and John coming to the tomb, and I'm going to tell you up front, but we're not going to turn to all the text, that as soon coming toward the tomb that Mary Magdalene sees that the stone has been rolled away, she takes off, and she takes off to find Peter and John. And in chapter 20, John gives us those two guys running to the tomb. Everybody's running here with reference to what's going on. Chapter 20 of John, verse 6. And so Simon Peter also came following him and entered the tomb, and he saw the linen wrapping lying there, and the face cloth which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a piece by itself. So the other disciple who had first come to the tomb then also entered, and he saw, and he... He believed. Verse 9, for as yet they did not understand the scriptures that he must rise again from the dead. In fact, just the word of the fact that he said, I'm going to die, they couldn't get past his death. Yet alone the fact that he said, I will rise again. Peter took him aside when he comprehended the fact that Jesus was saying he's going to die. what? Peter took him aside and said, Lord, you're not thinking right. And Jesus said what? Get thee behind me, Satan. You don't understand God's plan. So their challenge was our challenge in taking God at his word and all that he has revealed to us. They just didn't believe. And yet these women were so blessed. There's our passage we just read, and MacArthur's got a statement about these gals being so blessed by the reality of this. The women did not have confidence in Jesus' resurrection, but they had great love and great devotion for him. What they lacked in faith, they compensated for loving compassion. And what they lacked in understanding, they made up for in courageous devotion, even to him. So here they come, and this particular Mary and these other Marys and other gals are are coming, and imagine what it was like. They're coming there, and now they see. They see from distance. Whoa, what? What? It's open. Mary Magdalene takes off. Peter and John got to know this. Somebody must have stolen the, everybody says, somebody must have what? Stolen the body. Now their hearts are really pounding. They came to look at the grave. And verses 2 through 4, then we're given information as to what occurred by the time they had got there and what they encountered. So look at verse 2. And behold, a severe, severe earthquake had occurred. I would say simultaneous with the reality of the resurrection. Now we've had two earthquakes in three days. Years ago, we were in the building that we started in, Plainfield Bible Church. And there was an evening service and I, all of a sudden, we felt something and I was certain that a car had gone off Township Line Road and hit our building because, boom, and everybody had everybody's attention. Find out later, it was just a tremble through our area. I'm telling you, this morning, that when God touches this earth in these three days with his death and with his resurrection, he is getting the world's attention that something most significant in all of history has happened. Earthquake. Mm -hmm. Marshall reminded us Friday night, and there are some major earthquakes to come, Read about it in the book of the Revelation with reference to Christ's coming and the world being announced of it again through this miraculous reality of an earthquake. Well, verse 2 had occurred simultaneous with Christ's resurrection for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven came and rolled away the stone and he sat upon it. And, and there's a bit of a bit of potential humor there, isn't there? I mean, sitting on the stone. But there was nothing humorous at all to the people who were there. Because we're told, verse 3, and his appearance was like lightning and his clothes as white as snow. This is one of God's holy messengers reflecting God's glory. And it is frightening. Luke tells us these women were much terrified. And, of course, the angel had to come and roll away the stone so Jesus could get out. Just seeing if you're awake. He came and rolled away the stone so you and I could look in and see he, with me, everyone, he is risen. When I was in Israel, I had the privilege to go to the classic tomb Traditionally, there in Israel. And, and can you imagine? There's going to be so many people there today that are privileged to go to Israel and, and see the tomb today. And I want to just inform you, in case you don't know, when I looked in, it was empty. Yeah. Forever empty. So they could see. And the angel said it's not in Matthew here, but and there's two that the other Gospels give us, but it would seem that the words here given to us from Matthew's account is particular to what he wants to point out. But Luke tells us that the angels speak to the women. They don't say anything. They can't talk. There's others. Look with me in verse 4. The guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. They are traumatized, and so are these women. They're not saying anything. But God's messenger says in the book of Luke, why, why do you seek the living among the dead? (laughs) And it's open, and he's gone. (laughs) Guards laying on the ground like dead like dead men hmm. women terrified it's a time for some comforting words is it not look at verse 5 the angel said to the women do not be what afraid and you know the bible says to somebody don't be afraid what can you guarantee they are really afraid <laughs> what has happened where is he holy messenger of God, reflecting this glory, what's taken place. So do not be afraid. Then we come to these words. For I know that you're looking for Jesus. He has been crucified. But he is not here. For he has risen. Just just as he said, Mark that. You mark your Bible. Those are the words. Just as he said. And then imperative here. I I think they were so frightened, they weren't willing to go in there. And it's an imperative. It's a command. Come and see. Come and see the place where he was lying. The Bible tells us the Scriptures, passages like Psalm 1610, for you will not abandon my soul to sheol to the grave nor will you allow your holy one to undergo decay and look with me as we back up in Matthew for just a moment go back with me to Matthew chapter 16 verse 21 1621 Just as he said. Now we're just getting the accounts from Matthew, okay? Matthew 16, 21. From that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, must suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and there it is, be raised from the dead. Turn with me to chapter 17, 1722, 17, 22. just a page over in my Bible. 1722. And while they were gathered together in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be what? Raised on the third day. Over in chapter 20. Chapter 20, verses 18 and 19. Did he promise that he would raise from the dead? Did he promise? Mm -hmm. Chapter 20, verse 18 and 19. Behold, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to mock and scourge and crucify him. And on the third day, there it is again. And this is just Matthew. He told him, he told him, he told him. And that resurrection verifies then his claims. His claim to have authority over sin. He could say to people, your sins are forgiven you. His claim of authority as the weight of the Father. And his claim that all authority was given to him to judge all of mankind. Back to our text, verse 6 then. Come, come and see. You know what I think? I can't prove this by any means, but when you get to heaven, you'll know that I'm right, okay? I I think that when they're walking into the tomb, they're locked arms. I do. I just think they're locked arms going in there together. Come, get in here. Come and see. Come and see. What did they see? What did they see? We could have read on in John. uh, They saw the grave cloths lying on a stone on a shelf in the tomb Still wrapped in the shape of the body. John 20. Jesus had passed through the grave claws and left them behind as evidence he was alive. They lay there like an empty cocoon. There was no sign of a struggle. The grave claws were not in disarray. Even the napkin, which was wrapped and laid over his face, was folded carefully in a place by itself. They saw evidence that he was alive. And then they are given this instruction. Look with me at verse 7. Here's the other command. Now go quickly. Go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee, and there you will see him. Behold, I have told you. And notice in verse 8, they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to report it. They're running running to tell them, and Peter and John, when they get the news, they are running to the tomb. I mean, everybody's going, what? What? I wonder if, if it's starting to click with them at this time. God is helping them understand this. So go. Go and tell them. Go and tell the world. We get to the end of this chapter and the end of the story in terms of our Lord Jesus Christ, his, his earthly ministry. He tells at the end of chapter 28 to a, his men and others as the resurrected Christ go into all the world now and tell this news. And over a period of 40 days, Appearance after appearance, even to as many as 500 at one time, to James, and, and, and Paul later on confirmed the reality that he was alive with his men, even to have his men come, touch him. Thomas said, not till I touch the prints in his wounds in his hands and place my hand in his side imagine what jesus what it was like for jesus to say to him what it was like for thomas when he said all right come here thomas i wonder if thomas shook his head now i don't want to (laughs) you know and he touched him and jesus said what now you've now you've seen you believe but blessed are those who have not seen and do believe is that you and what did thomas say my lord and my god how worthy of worship. So gals, and all of us, but these, these dear women, they're first to proclaim the good news. They are first to be at the empty tomb. They are first to hear the good news of his resurrection, and they're going to be first to proclaim it. Go tell others. Wow. What a tremendous privilege was theirs. Well, you know, why, why was that? What, why the women here? It should have been us men. Amen. Why the women first? Another comment by MacArthur here, I think, is so good for us. He says, one wonders why God chose to reveal the truth of the resurrection first to those women rather than to the disciples. One commentator suggested it was because God chose the weak to confound the strong. No amen's there, right? <laughs> Another suggests women were rewarded for their faithful service to the Lord in Galilee. Another holds that because because death came by a woman in the garden, so now life was first announced to a woman in the garden. Others propose that it was because the deepest sorrow deserves the deepest joy or that supreme love deserves supreme privilege. I love that. But the Scriptures offer no such explanation. It seems obvious that the women were the first to hear the angelic announcement of the resurrection simply because they were there. (laughs) Had the disciples been there, they too would have heard the good news directly from the angel rather than indirectly from the women. Here's a great application. This is analogous to the reality that the closer you and I as a believer stay to the Lord and to his work, the more he's going to witness and experience God's power in your life. Stay close to the Lord. Stay in his word. You'll experience his reality and resurrection power in your life. So, they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy. Fear over what they have seen. And, and they're still trying to figure this out, though, even though they've heard that news. I, I'm sure they want to believe it. But fear over which all, all had seen, but joy as to what they have heard. And now they run, find the other disciples. And we have the most appropriate thing that we could ever think about with reference to this event given to us in verse 9. And behold, Jesus met them, and he greeted them. It's a beautiful word there. It's it's almost like hello or good morning. I think if he'd have been loud at all, they'd have died right there. He greets them. (laughs) The resurrected Christ. And they said, oh, it's wonderful. I'm so glad. I want to have a discussion. Now, what do they do? What do they do? And they came up and they took hold of his feet and they worshipped him. Why are we here today? To worship him. Why do we meet every Sunday? We remember the cross, we remember the resurrection, and we worship him. We want to worship him Monday through Saturday as well, but we gather to remember the reality of what's taken place here. And the most appropriate thing that we'll ever do with response to who he is is worship him with our life, our words, our choices, in all things. So the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the believer's glorious, great hope. It's very power by which we live the Christian life. If you're a believer here today... We have been resurrected with Christ, Romans 6, unto a new life, newness in life. And we live this life now by the Spirit and with the Word, but in the power of the same power that raised Christ from the dead. That's why the Apostle Paul says in Philippians, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. You have resurrection power to live a life pleasing to God but it starts with knowing him as your own savior having turned from your sin and turned to Jesus Christ for forgiveness and the hope of eternal life he's life in the resurrection and there's a stern warning likewise in the resurrection and we don't like warnings but there is a stern warning in the resurrection for all mankind and it's this The apostle is preaching at Athens, at the Aragapius, and and he's, he's conveying the fact, in light of what's happened, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should what? Repent, turn. Why? Because he's fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. So the resurrection is the guarantee that all Mankind will be raised and before Christ one day. And you'll either have his righteousness that comes to you by faith, or you won't. And you'll be, have a, a insufficient rightnesses, rightnesses in, righteousness in yourself that are all filthy rags apart from a relationship with him. And the reality is, because of the resurrection, now then there is a resurrection of the life, but there is also a resurrection now unto eternal death. Hmm. But it's a guarantee. All of us. All of us, one day. Yet the good news that's available to all right now, perhaps available to you this morning, you say, I'm kind of in there, I don't reject this, I came to church today. Oh, no, but wait a minute. There's a difference between that And the resurrection demands you're either out or you're all in. And that all in, that path to all in is so well stated for us in Romans 10, 9, and 10. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, you are willing to say, yes, I believe that he is God in flesh who raised from the dead. And you believe in your heart that God God raised him from the dead you'll be saved, you'll be delivered, you'll be spared eternal torment in separation from him. And then he explains that for us too. He says, well, how does that happen? Well, with the heart a person believes and that produces a righteousness that comes from God and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in, in salvation. So have you believed upon him for your forgiveness and have you confessed him as your hope of life and life eternal? The scriptures have something to say about that, and it's this. Behold, now is the appointed time. Today is the day of salvation. <laughs> He's resurrection, and he is life. And if you're in Christ today, or if you repent and turn to him today, in faith alone, believing faith, you're going to pass from life unto life. And if you leave this world before I do, and who's no, who knows who's going to be who else, but you're going to be able to say absent from the body is to be what? Present with the Lord. And he's not even done with the body itself. All going to be raised. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Amen? Let's bow in prayer together. Father, thank you for Matthew's record, thank you for these dear women. Thank you for the reality of what they were told, what they saw, what they witnessed to, and who they saw in resurrection glory. And I pray that the Spirit of God has applied this truth to our hearts in such a way that we all would be able to say, I believe that with all my heart. Maybe somebody's saying, I never did before, but I'm all in today. I, I, I don't want, I, I turn from my sin. I know that I'm a sinner. All of sin falls short of the glory of God. We know that. And I'm taking hold of this truth today based upon what I've heard that he has done that guarantees life to those who say, he's mine, I believe, I've trusted him. And to those who already have and came here today just to worship him again, strengthen us in this great hope, this great evidence, this greatest event in all human history, miracle of miracles. Others were raised from the dead, but he, he lived in perfect righteousness, promised his resurrection, and fulfilled his words. Thank you so much for the Savior. In his name I pray and his people said, amen.